Thank you. Here we go. I'm going to admit to everyone. Excellent. Alrighty. And the last thing that I'm going to do for housekeeping is for the chat, I make sure that the chat goes to just you and I. So welcome everyone. We are getting everything set up securely for you. Um, the chat will go to the host and the co-host. Um, I want everyone to know who's joining in that we are not recording your students' faces and we will not be sharing your students' faces. Um, this is private, so we will share a replay, but it will only be the speakers and the panelists. Um, so thank you for joining us today. All right, well, my name is Maria Desmondi, and I am a publisher here in Michigan with Cardinal Rule Press, and we are a very small publisher, but we are, um, I guess our beliefs are really big in empowering children with the tools that they need to be kind, to be caring, and to really thrive in this world. Notice I didn't say to be happy because that's it's not all about being happy. Um, and so what we do is we oftentimes invite panelists on to you know connect with our community of classrooms and aspiring writers. And I think the, the biggest part of what we're trying to do here is build that community and to really inspire and motivate children um, to write, to read, and to take away those important messages in the books that these amazing individuals are writing or the work that they are doing. So without further ado, um, I will tell you that I, I do have a sleeping dog behind me. So that's one of the joys of Zoom. You can see someone's working really hard over here. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and do some introductions. So let's begin with Patrice. And you are muted, so you can feel free to unmute yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and the work that you do. Well, hi, and thank you so much, um, Maria, for having me, and hi to all my panelists and everyone that's watching. Um, I am Patrice Karst, and I'm probably um, most known to all of you for my book, The Invisible Strain, which has um, just surpassed anything I could have ever dreamt of, and it's a book about the string that connects us all, um, the string of love that um, transcends time and space, and the book has been translated in 18 languages now and sold almost 2 million copies. And it's just been a complete miracle and blessing in my life. Um, and then the two newest books I wanted to mention today are Ruby and Lonely, which is my newest book that just came out, um, which is about a little girl named Ruby who has a really big problem with loneliness. And um, this book will empower, my hope is that this book will empower all children to find their own inner best friend and really learn about self-love and that they're never ever all alone because they have themselves and then the newest book in the invisible string series is the invisible string backpack which is about a little girl on her first day of school who has a lot of worries and realizes um, through a whole set of um, amazing kismet and miracles that she possesses an invisible backpack that she has with her all the time and it's filled with every tool she could ever need in any situation at school or life and it I wrote it so that it would again empower all children to realize everything that they really need is right inside and all we need to do is reach in and find that tool so um, that's a little bit about me I live in Southern California and the world is crazy, but children are amazing. And if we can reach them when they're young, um, when they're still children and teach them 
the important things of life, then we will have a beautiful new generation coming up. So um, anyway, that's it. That's me. Thank you so much for being here, Patrice. That's lovely. Uh, who wants to go next? I can't wait to read about the backpack, by the way, the invisible backpack. Dr. Wees, go ahead. Oh, there you go making me ask you to unmute me every time. I should go next since I also am part of the Invisible String family. And my work was during my time finishing my doctorate. So I have a master's and a doctorate all in about art and play and expressive work. Um, so I'm an expressive therapist and an art therapist and a play therapist. And I do that with all ages. Um, so I was telling people, I, I work with people five to 60 and someone says a 60 year cutoff. And I said, no, that's just actually my caseload right now. So now I'm supposed to say I do art and play with all ages. Um, and, and Patrice and I, um, were able to meet because I was using this book. Um, I work, um, with a program that, um, has a lot of adolescents who live there because they have tried to harm themselves. They have harmed others. They've had a lot of experience with abuse and neglect. Um, they're part of the foster care system. And we started using the invisible string to teach um, all of our staff about trauma and about attachments and about times when people aren't attached and how hard it can be to reconnect. And we had been using it for quite a number of years. And as I started going into my doctorate program, um, there just happened to be this amazing group of youth who wrote these poems to Patrice about the book and wanted to write cards to her. So they all encouraged me to reach out to Patrice and I did. And now we have a workbook together. So this was a labor of love between the two of us to bring more, um, to the youth that we were working with, but all ages really. Um, and we're so grateful to our publisher to really allow us to write this book that can be used for all ages and has. So a little bit about us. Thank you for letting me share. So some of our creative individuals here and our experts have a product and some are right there in the schools doing the work with the children. Vanessa Allen, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do. Hi, um, I'm so glad to be here. My name is Vanessa Allen. I am actually a newly retired educator. So I spent 31 years working in the same school district at the elementary school level. Um, my first 13 years were spent in the classroom as a second grade teacher, and the other 18 were spent as an elementary school counselor. So I've always enjoyed coming up with ways to teach kids different topics, from bullying to character education to dealing with big feelings. So I create resources for school counselors. I'm also a blogger. In 2012, I created the Blog Savvy School Counselor, and that's where I just share ideas and insights with school counselors. My journey to becoming an author was a little different. I always imagined I would eventually write a book. However, because I was the author of Savvy School Counselor, I was contacted by a publisher to write for them, and that's how I became the author of my two books. My first book is the No More Bullying Book for Kids, which I wrote in 2018. And the second book that I wrote in 2019 is Me and My Feelings, which is the book that brought me here today to talk about social emotional learning. Thank you so much, for me, Maria, for having me.
Yes, Vanessa. And I have to say that um, I, I use a lot of your own work in my home uh, with our three children. We're also a foster family. And um, I have used Vanessa, you, we on the inside of our pantry, we always have um, some type of a, I make it like a bulletin board. And so I've used your work from the Savvy School Counselor um, with empowering words and different things, different activities that you've shared um, in our home. So thank you very much for that. Um, we are going to move on to Trudy Ludwig, which I'm so excited seeing some of those books behind you. There you go. It should say, oh, no. there you okay. go. Okay. Hi, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with all of um, you panelists. I'm honored to participate. I have nothing but respect and appreciation for all the work that you do to help kids connect and thrive in this crazy, crazy, crazy world of ours. Um, so I believe that kids are not just our future, they're our present. Mm -hmm. um, there's horrible <laughs> adult role modeling going on. So my job is to recruit kindness warriors wherever I go. Um, and there's no limit in age for a kindness warrior. Um, I love, uh, Maria, that you had shared that we're all about not trying to um, encourage everyone just to be happy. It's all about emotional resilience, um, because as I share with kids of all ages, much as we grownups would love to get rid of all the hurt in the world, we're not going to. Um, we have to speak the truth. Um, but what caring adults and what supportive kids and peers can do is help us get through the hurt. Um, and this is really an important thing for us to all learn um, because good and bad coexist and they will always coexist. Uh, unfortunately, we hear more bad than good, but there are some amazing helpers out in the world that unfortunately their efforts don't get focused as much, right? Um, so I'm a children's author. I've uh, been writing books for 21 years. Um, I have 13 published stories. Um, actually 14, but 13 are books. Um, my most popular book um, is The Invisible Boy. Um, I try to connect kids with relatable characters and make sure that my characters are uh, representative of a diverse population. Um, it's very important for kids to see themselves in stories um, and also to understand what it's like to be in that character's head. Uh, my most recent um, two books that were recently published, I started off in my career uh, focusing on relational aggression. That's my expertise um, and um, dealing with different types of bullying. And that's how I'm first known with My Secret Bully that uh, led to all these other uh, books that I wrote. I've since branched out over the years with um, SEL. Um, I think that's really important. I am a, I want to say, a messenger for that, that work that a lot of wonderful educators and counseling practitioners are doing in that area. So uh, one of my most recent books is Brave Every Day. I wanted to take a whole different spin on anxiety, um, how it was addressed. Um, I wanted to show that um, we warriors are really warriors because we have to go beyond our comfort zone every single day to do what needs to be done. And it's about managing it because our anxiety is never gonna magically disappear. We're always going to have that in us. So I'm um, thinking about front burner fears and back burner fears and addressing them, what's likely to happen, what's least likely to happen. Um, my other book, oh, by the way, The Brave Every Day was 
illustrated by Patrice Barton, who's wonderful. She did The Invisible Boy in Quiet, Please. Um, this is my newest book, Calling the Wind. I got to collaborate with a dear friend, Catherine Itoshi. We've been wanting to work on a story for years, and uh, we were going through personal losses. I, I lost three siblings, a parent, um, a very dear friend, in one after the other. And she was going through personal losses too. And I heard this amazing story on this American life and um, about this wind phone in Japan um, that people will go to to process their grief. And um, it, it was built a year before the tsunami hit in Japan. And um, since then it's had pilgrimages worldwide and uh, it's being replicated around the world, um, including in the United States. So this is a book to talk about the messiness of grief and the healing power of hope and human connection. Um, so it's not just the grief of a lost, uh, uh, someone who dies, it could be the loss of a beloved pet, it could be a change or a way of life, um, going through devastations, natural disasters, and how human connections can help make us become more emotionally resilient and hopeful. Thank you. Fantastic. This I'm just so excited to be connecting with classrooms and children with all the work that you're doing. And last but certainly not least, we have Anjali. If you could please uh, unmute yourself and introduce yourself to us. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Anjali Raworth. Um, I am the author of such books as The Boy at the Back of the Class. Um, the Night Boss Hero and The Star Outside My Window. I have a couple that just came out recently. I don't think they're in America just yet. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm British. Um, I'm streaming to you live from Westminster Abbey. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to be talking about anything to do with children's um, capacity to not only develop their uh, resilience, but also to champion what they have already. They are incredibly um, amazing in so many ways, as Patrice said. Um, and uh, I'm always flabbergasted by just how wise they are. Um, so much wiser than some of the adults I, you know, we know and um, have to hear on television, sadly. Um, and I think children are, especially our children today, when they are inundated with so much media, so much news uh, in a way that we never have had to endure before, um, they are incredibly astute and uh, really angry. Um, their sense of justice is very strong. Um, so after writing The Boy at the Back of Class, uh, I wrote a nonfiction called Hope on the Horizon, which was a result of the thousands of letters we started to get from children who wanted to help refugees in whatever way they could. Um, we had one seven-year-old who wrote to the Queen at Buckingham Palace just down the road, making a business case for why she should open up all her rooms to refugees. Um, and all of my books centre around the works that I do in my um, other worlds. So refugees, women fleeing domestic violence, which is what starts out my window, is about homelessness, which is what um, The Night Bus Hero is about, um, Nine Above the Door, which is racism and the eradication of stories from our history books, especially around World War II. Um, all of these things are centered in my experiences as a child and centered around the questions that I get from children as well whenever I get to go into schools and meet these incredible little beings who have a great deal to say about the way the adults are running the world. Um, and that's me in a nutshell. Thank you so much for having me here, Maria. Thank you. But guess what? You are the recipient of the first question. I'm going to keep it going with you. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. So we Bring want to now, um, we heard generally what everyone has done in their work. Now I would love for us to all think of 
an example, and it can be an example in your book, and it can be an example of in the classroom or the schools that you work, an example of a character or, you know, a human being that you've worked with who experienced, um, we'll say, sadness or experienced hurt, and what did they do to overcome it? How did they become resilient? How did they work through it? Um, and so I'm starting with you. Do you think you can think of an example from one of your books that you can share with one of your characters? Absolutely. So um, the boy at the back of the class, for those of you who don't know, um, is centered around a refugee boy that walks into a classroom, very ordinary classroom. But he is incredibly lucky. He gets to meet the most amazing friend anybody could ever hope to meet for, you know, meet if they were ever in that situation where they've lost everything. Um, and they're walking into a place where they don't know the language, they don't know the faces, um, and they have literally lost um, all the people they they love in their world. Um, the narrator of this story, um, whose identity is kind of kept secret to the end, um, which is kind of like an inside joke, but um, this narrator is based on people I get to work with. And I tell this to children every single day whenever I go into schools, that in the history books, you will see the bad guys, you will see names um, of people who have done incredibly horrible things. But what you won't see is the flip side of it. For every refugee that you see on the television, there will be 20, 30, 40 people trying to aid them. And their names won't be in the history book they will not make it onto your television channels chances are you will never even know that they exist and it's so important that we know that they exist um so the narrator of this story um is based on real people it's kind of, kind of an accumulation of real heroes and sheroes i get to work with in refugee camps um on my in my spare time um and this character has also been through grief that's why they can connect with this boy who's walked in and can't speak the language can't speak anything has a pale face disappears at break times um, they've suffered um grief in their own way they've lost their father um and they are i think the, the, the way they cope with that is two ways one they have an incredible mom um who's also a librarian and that wasn't done by accident and secondly they have a million questions that they want answered so, so their way of coping with the world as a way in a way is to ask their questions and find the answers and this character wants to be like tintin for those of you who know tintin you'll know you know he's an undercover reporter semi-detective um and he's a hero because he is not afraid of his questions so this character is an accumulation of people who have gone out into the world angry at the world wanted to know and have answers and have gone out to find it for themselves and that's what uh, the narrator represents for me um, and the resilience comes from the comfort in knowing that maybe they can help someone else through their questions. Fantastic and I, I think it's so important for children to realize too that young children can make a difference in the world so you're mm -hmm. talking about highlighting different individuals who've made a difference it's not just adults who have money just remember something as simple as opening the door for someone or smiling at someone or Trudy in your book the invisible boy um, you know connecting with someone can make a difference in someone else's world. Trudy, would you mind talking about the character in that book? I'm, I just, I really enjoy that book and that character. I will ask you, okay, they must have increased their security over here. There we there go. There we go. No, that's fine. Um, so I wanted to show that, um, you know, there are a lot of kids that do feel invisible. Um, it could be intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and the main character, the protagonist, is Brian. Um, he is a bit of an introvert. Um, so his way of, of uh, reaching out is through his artwork. Um, I wanted to show that he's very observant and also that the quietest kids have the most colorful imagination if you just get to know them a bit. 
and um, how just small acts of kindness can make someone feel visible. Um, and, and I think what Patrice did with the artwork was wonderful because it shows him physically being gray character. And when somebody starts noticing him in a kind way, he starts getting color, but that color leaves as soon as he's treated poorly again. So it shows the fluidity of um, our feelings, which is really important. It's not all one end or the other. Um, and also it shows how you don't have to be a superhero to be a hero in someone else's eyes. You could be any kid, you could be an average grown up like me. It, all it takes is one person to reach out in kind ways. Um, and we don't know how that kindness creates a ripple effect. And, you know, I, I like to think of kindness as, as a verb, you know, it should be a verb because um, when you perform acts of kindness, um, it leads to um, community action and social justice. Those individual acts can lead to group actions. Fantastic. I was just looking for my copy of The Invisible Boy, and I, I've started um, babysitting my four-year-old niece a few months ago once she started preschool, and my books aren't in all the places that they are supposed to be, which is fine, but I couldn't <laughs> find it. Um, but Trudy, I did want to show how in the book, it's so cool what the illustrator did, how the boy feels gray in his life. And then you notice by the end, everything starts popping up in color. And so it's not just in the words, but it's visual, um, a visual sensation that you get from um, his change in feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you for bringing that up. All right, um, Patrice and Dr. Reese would, Wise, would you like to um, both kind of talk about maybe a character in The Invisible String um, that we were discussing with resilience and emotions that they're feeling? You want me to talk about Invisible String, right? Yes. Okay. Um, in the beginning of the story, um, the children are very afraid uh, because it's a very loud, the twins are very afraid because it's a very loud thunderstorm happening outside. Um, and as mom starts to explain to them this concept that there is an invisible string connecting them so that even if they're in their bedrooms listening to the loud, scary sounds and she's in the living room, they're still together. They're all together. And as this concept gets sort of bigger and bigger and the children start asking their questions, well, can the string reach my cat? Can the string reach my best friend? How far can the string reach? Can it go when I'm a submarine captain deep in the ocean? Can it go to the top of the mountains? Can it go into outer space? And ultimately, um, can it go to Uncle Brian in heaven, which, you know, that one word, um, that one page turned it into the number one book for children dealing with grief in the world, death and dying. Um, even though the book is certainly not a book about grief, it's about love and connection, but just the fact that um, that the mom explains and the children begin to realize that indeed this string is so powerful, this string of love that can never be cut, torn, lost, broken, um, you know, can even reach all the way to heaven, turned it into, you know, that, you know, this powerful grief book. But so, yeah, I think the children, um, by the time they go back to bed at the end of the story, even though the storm is still making all the same loud noises outside they have been internally changed forever by realizing that they have this invisible string and that they have it to everyone that they love and they will have it to everyone that they love for the rest of their lives oh and that all their friends and their friends and their friends and their friends have their invisible strings so we really live in a web 
you know, um, that's why I wrote the invisible web, the invisible web of love. So, um, so yeah, the power of love is, is basically everything. Just like Trudy just said, so, love is it. Love is the whole shebang. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so if it's okay, I'm going to take a little turn and I'm not going to talk about a character, but since I do my work using the book in the workbook with tons of children mm -hmm. and adolescents, adults all over the world, I'll talk just a little bit about some of the really cool ways they've been part of the story. Um, so a lot of my youth, it's just such a story where you can put yourself into it. And we've done such really amazing things with the workbook. And I'll just tell a little bit about one of my favorite, um, I had, a young child about five that acted out if the invisible spring could reach them everywhere. And we played a little bit of hide and seek and they would like make a little world with a drawing and we would have to find them to show that the string reached to wherever they were in whatever world they were creating. And it was just such a wonderful experience of where I think it just extends beyond the pages into them being able to be the character and um, play with it and then having that connection with the parent and me doing this together. So I do a lot of um, co-work um, where I have parents in the room with us as we're trying to build connection and whether it's foster or biological family or caregivers or whoever it is, um, just it just lends itself the story to them being able to be, be a piece of it. Um, and I've even had adolescents, which I won't share what they say, but they have really fun, um, tricky ways of trying to trip us up. Does this string go? And, you know, I've worked with a lot of adolescents who have had really hard experiences and um, really worry that the string doesn't reach to them because of what's happened to them in their life. And um, it's really beautiful to see them kind of soften and um, realize that people can still love them and they can still love themselves. Um, so my my experience is the characters in real life that become part of the story through reading it and doing the activities. Well, that really leads into what I was going to ask Vanessa. I was going to go into our next question because um, we have someone in the audience asking us a few questions. And Vanessa, um, we're, you know, the next part is really talking about what advice would you have for children, for students, for caregivers who are listening, to parents who are listening? Um, you know, discussing these emotions and life is busy. And it seems as though, could it be busier than it was when I was growing up? I, I asked myself that question a lot. And I really do think it is. And um, I don't know if it's because parents are allowing more activities and maybe they're putting more pressures on themselves to do, do, do. But families are going here, there, everywhere. So how can families really have these conversations? And what um, Andy is asking in the, the chat, Vanessa, uh, is how would you go about uh, discussing grief and loss? It's, it's a happy topic. So that emotion, how, how could you really discuss grief and loss? And my response was, I thought children's books were a great way to kind of bridge the conversation and to kind of, um, you know, so that a child can see what they might be feeling in a character. But I'm wondering, Vanessa, if you have any other ideas. Oh, I have to push that button. This was, this is something new. Thank you for your patience. Here you go. So, I think that I, I love your idea about using children's books. As a school counselor, that's typically the first thing that I would do is to utilize children's books. 
Um, one thing that is important when it comes to children in grief is giving them the autonomy to kind of speak when they're ready and not necessarily forcing discussing grief on them. So just thinking about my experience as a counselor, when we would have students who were experiencing grief, it wasn't come talk to the counselor. You know, it's if you're ready, I'm, I'm available. Kids need to be able to take steps as they're ready. Um, I also think it's good to keep kids active when they're dealing with grief, keeping them active, keeping them doing those things that make them happy, right? The things that they're they're used to doing, keeping that routine as much as possible, as much as they are comfortable with that. And then when they're ready to have some conversations, really listening to them and just trying to understand where they're coming from. I think also writing is a good way to deal with grief. If you're not reading books, writing about your feelings, writing a letter to that person, maybe something that you didn't get to say and trying to just get your feelings written down. Um, drawing, art, we incorporate art, writing, and definitely using bibliotherapy, which is incorporating the books. Wonderful, wonderful. And um, Dr. Dana also had mentioned letting them play and create to process those experiences and then talk in small doses when ready. And so my last question for you, and then we will take questions from the audience as they come up, um, although we already have been, but my last question is really going back to what I was saying, how busy families are. What can we be doing on a regular basis to be identifying feelings, talk about talking about feelings? Is there something we can incorporate in our daily routine? Because again, as we mentioned, life is busy. What do you think? Maybe if you want me to unmute you, you ha might have to do this because, okay, thank you. <laughs> Trudy. I think it's important for kids to have downtime, free downtime. I think um, the kids are so overscheduled um, and they have a lot of adults negotiating things for them that, you know, I think that's part of the problem is um, kids need to learn um, about friendships and not have people overtake it so much. Um, um, same with play, um, having them negotiate rules on playing and such um, so that they can learn, um, how to negotiate better rather than having other, everyone telling them what to do. I think kids need to be bored. I think they need to have some time to be bored because boredom is the liminal state for opening opportunities for expression, creative expression, or emotional expression. Um, I think particularly for boys, I think there needs to be more allowances in the classroom for boys. They're not physiologically wired to sit as long as girls. They're not physiologically wired to engage in as long eye contact as girls. And when you need to have heavy conversations with boys, a lot of the experts um, say give them something to do with their hands um, because they're more likely to communicate their feelings. I mean, any parent who's a parent of a boy We'll have some great conversations driving their child around so that the kid talks to the back of your head because they really don't want to stare at you one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so I think it's just being sensitive to that. The other thing I think is really important is we give extensive emotional vocabulary to our girls um, from the time that they're born. And we're doing a disservice to boys, which is why boys are really struggling now in our society. 
Um, so it's important for us to allow boys to have those feelings because the most socially acceptable forms of expression for boys are anger, aggression, and emotional withdrawal. So what we really need to do is allow the boys to externalize their feelings. Girls have the tendency to do that. Boys have the tendency to internalize. So it's really important for um, children to really understand and express their feelings, good, bad, and ugly. Thank you for that. And, you know, Patrice, um, we did have another question come in, and I'm wondering maybe if you can address that. And um, please just remember our audience does include classrooms. So um, someone is asking, what advice would you give in helping students who may have questions about current world affairs? I'm going to stop there. Um, any book suggestions? Um, any book suggestions that come to mind? I know the word peace is definitely something that um, would be important to explore. What does peace look like? What does peace sound like? Um, that would be a really great way to explore um, through books. Does anyone have any other suggestions? That's a tough one because even us grownups are trying to figure that one out. Yep. Um, I think it's really hard what's going on right now. And I think it's really hard to discuss. And I do agree that there are so many children's books that talk about connection. And um, I think Patrice had mentioned The Invisible Web, but books like that, that really show the connection of how one person in this part of the world is connected to another person in the other part of the world. Um, kind of like that butterfly effect where what I do does actually matter over to this person who I don't know at all. And little things I do can support and help. Um, and when things feel really big and overwhelming, I know one thing we would do, um, the youth that I used to work with that lived at our program, because they had been through such hard things, when they would see things like this on the news, they would get really overwhelmed and really sad. And um, it was so beautiful. We would end up doing something um, as a group together. So a family could do this, a classroom could do this. We'd um, maybe find a way to write a letter or we'd read a book with them. Even though they were adolescents, we'd read them lots of children's books and then say, is there some way we can donate in some way? And so one time we had an art show where they all did art and we donated all the proceeds to an event. Um, and so how, you know, even though that might be small and that doesn't help the whole big picture, finding the little ways that we could support um, and have some control because we can't control changing that big outcome um, to support even if it's one person. I think that's um, a really beautiful way to bring in books um, that talk about that connection, but then also to have an impact um, on the outcome, even if it's for one person or one group that we can. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, go ahead. Um, and let me unmute you. And I did say panelists, if you think of any other books um, on that topic, if you could email me, I will make sure that those are included in the um, email that goes out tomorrow to all everyone signed up. Um, I just wanted to say that there is a world of authors um, who are directly dealing with the questions that children are asking about refugees, about racism, about war. Um, so, for example, um, at the back of all my books, um, so with, with the back of class, we put 
definitions. Um, we've asked them questions about how they met a refugee child, what was their reactions, how did they feel. Um, there are pieces of the puzzle for themselves to solve because lots of us will have refugee histories. Um, there are facts and figures. Um, so this kind of non-fiction element to fictional stories to ensure that children can connect the two um, is ever increasingly crucial. So um, I don't know if um, uh, if you've all heard of Frank Cottrell Boyce. He wrote an amazing coat, uh, amazing, uh, beautiful um, book about a coat, about Mongolian refugee. Um, Sita Brahmachari, she's written Red Leaves. Again, that's about an artichoke heart. It's about refugees, and it deals with topics very directly and head on um, for middle grade children. So it was, you know, seven plus. Um, so there are more and more stories coming out and there is more and more demand for it because not only are books the kind of go-to place for a lot of adults to give to children to try and explain what's going on. Um, but for a lot of children who might not have safe spaces at home, school is the only safe space they have. And that reading book that that teacher has on their desk and gives to them might be the only time they get to actually have that downtime we're talking about of dealing with questions through a book. Um, so as well as, you know, um, I, I think this assumption of children being able to get home and um, have, you know, kind of quiet spaces is quite a rarity for so, so many. Um, so that kind of reading time in school and that reading time with the teacher um, and with their friends is ever crucial. It's something we're battling for over here in the UK. Um, and I just wanted to flag that. There's lots of books. So what I'll do, uh, Maria, um, I'll pull in a list in an email and send that over to you. Thank you. Go ahead, Trudy. Uh, yeah, I have to push that button. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I, I just uh, took off of my wall. This is actually um, a really good book. I don't know if you've all seen this, The Breaking News. Oh, mm -mm. Um, it's by um, uh, written and illustrated by Sarah Lynn Rule. It's good for young children. And it's talking about when they hear bad things on TV, what can they do? They feel helpless. Um, it's really a lovely one because regardless of what the bad news is, it's it's helping kids um, take those big, big issues, you know, um, that are out there, this, the circle of concern that we have, that we may not be able to control that big, big picture, but there are things that we can do, um, and how we treat others, and then how we can affect our circle of influence, which in turn enlarges and takes over more of that circle of concern, so that we have more people that are going to be able maybe impact that bigger picture, right? So starting small, what can we do when we have breaking news that is very disturbing? So I, I really do recommend this too. Thank you. And the books keep coming in and I do want to be respectful of the classroom's time. So um, I am going to ask us to all do something universally at the end. And this was not part of the agenda. Um, thank you. So many books coming in. I will make sure that these are all shared in the replay. So I just learned a new way of breathing um, at a conference I was at last week and I wanted to teach that to all of you. So you take a deep breath. And then you take a little bit more and you let it all out. So I'm gonna show you what it looks like and then we'll do it all together. Can we try it together? Inhale. And just doing that a few times kind of takes you out of where you're at with all those emotions, kind of gives you a little bit of a focus and brings a little bit of oxygen into your system. So let's do that one more time all together before we wrap up today. Inhale. You can do that a lot. 
When you're sitting alone and you're feeling bored, you can practice your breathing. You can think about the stories that were shared today. You can think about creating your own character that has emotions, all the wonderful things that you can do when you're bored. Classrooms, teachers, caregivers, thank you for all the work that you're doing with our students. Panelists, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Thank you for being here today. We are so gracious and appreciative. Have a lovely day, everyone.